you are now listening to My Faithway Podcast. You can now find us on every major platform. And don't forget to visit our Facebook page with live services every Sunday at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you want to become a partner or simply make a one-time donation, please text the word FAITHWAY to 77977. Click send and you will receive a link for further instruction. Feel free to comment on our Facebook Live stream services or visit our page at myfaithway.org. Now let's experience life in a new way, the Faithway. You know, the thing is, that we, at the end, we still win. You know, but it's still difficult. You know, we're still humans. So just let's all, let's all lift her up. She's part of the church, and that whole family's been part of this church for many, many, many years. Father, we just thank you right now before we go anywhere else. That we lift up Selma, her family, Father Jess, her family, the kids, the brothers, the sisters, this whole family, Father. And Lord, you know, we've been praying over this so long, but I just thank you, Father, that you are the Holy Spirit, the one and only Holy Spirit. They can engulf a family and just bring peace in difficult times and to bring understanding and to bring some form of understanding to all this. God, you're the only one. Nobody else can do that. So I just thank you right now as a church. We love, we release love to this whole family. And we just thank you that times of refreshing and restoration in some form or fashion will descend in an amazing way over every one of them. And I call them blessed and I thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. Thank you, Al. Thank you, Gabby. God bless y'all. See you in a bit. All right, let's get right into it. So as most of you know, I was, um, <laughs> I was telling my wife when I was, I forgot my coffee this morning, so I had to go get Stripes coffee. Ugh. Anyway, it's still sort of coffee, right, Yannis, or whatever it is. <laughs> I was driving down. I said, my life is full of contrast. I said, you know, last Sunday I was preaching in the most important city in the world, and now I'm in Hebronville, the second most important city in the world, all right? So we're here. So yeah, I was up in New York, and it was great, and it was very, you know, we, I was there 9-11, we went down to Ground Zero on 9-11, spent a little while there, and it was, you know, it was emotional. At the same time, it was refreshing to see so many firemen and police from all places of America, you know, it was, I didn't realize, but there were so many, you know, we went, it was, you know, thousands of people, but you could see all the Chicago, Detroit, Dallas, PD, LAPD, they were all... You know, so it was, it was good, you know, so I thank God for that, that opportunity to been there on such a special day, that we're home, amen, and it was great, and I have nothing but good things to say about Faith Exchange and the wonderful church up there, such a blessing. So let's get into the word this morning. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that we're back, we thank you that we're home. Can you turn me down a little bit? I'm um, getting a little bit of feedback. And I just thank you, Father, that the word will come forth. And I just believe with all my heart, Father, that everyone here will walk out with an understanding, a depth, a revelation, an insight, something, Father, that will help us grow, something that will help us understand deeper truths. And as we pursue these ideas, Father, we just thank you that it has to be the Holy Spirit that teaches these things. So none of me and all of you, Lord, that we all may learn together, and we believe we receive a word this morning in Jesus' name. And if you believe that, say amen. All right, let's go. So... As I was preparing, actually, for New York, and, you know, that, that is a very important meeting that we do every year. Well, obviously, last year, nothing happened. But, um, and, you know, also digging into some things in my own life and a little bit of soul-searching I've been doing the last few months. 
And also, of course, <laughs> you know, it's like you never finish a series, right? You're done with that when you say brand new series, and then the Lord just kind of connects them. And some of this came from that. And I began to dig into this idea, and, and it really just it happened because I was reading something completely unrelated, and then it just kind of began to grow in me. And I want to share something. So the, the new series that we're, I'll give you the title, and I'll give you the subtitle, give you something to think about until we complete it. So the title of the series is, Is Jesus, or Jesus is, the question. You know, and one of the things that we've, you know, little Christian cliches that we always hear, bumper stickers and t-shirts that we get, it says, Jesus is the answer. And yes, that's true, but, you know, everything changes when Jesus becomes a question. And then if I would add the subtitle to it, and I'll just leave it hanging out there, what if Jesus is the question to all of your answers? See, that one's steep, right? You've got to think about that one. So we'll leave it there. And that's my, my mission, you know, for the next couple of weeks is to dig into this. So just, you know, some, some of the facts that, that I've, I've come across in this study was that Jesus, you know, one of the, well, let me, let me back up a little. One of the rabbinical style of teaching, the way the rabbis would teach, would be with questions. That is a very common thing within the Jewish teaching system. And Jesus, it's really interesting, I think the first slide, RG, can go up to the first one, it's just a couple of statistics, you know, in the, in the Gospels, Jesus asks 307 different questions. And in comparison, he's only asked 183, but what is really amazing is the next point, says Jesus directly answers only eight, you know, of the 183 questions he has asked, and if you really dig into the ones, you know, that, that you, you wonder, because when he says he answered, I'm not saying that he didn't respond. In other words, he answered without a question. Every other answer was a question. And you begin to think about this because one of the things that, you know, as I was, I was, I was dealing yesterday, well, this was yesterday's thought. You know, I was thinking, I was meditating, I was praying about it. And I said, you know, we just finished this series called Deep into the Shallow, and it, and it has a reference to saying, you know, are we drowning in shallow things and so forth. And we spent many, many, you know, what, four or five weeks on that idea. And then as I was thinking about it, you know, I, the Lord kind of just flipped it in my spirit. He says, what if we're just too shallow into the deep things of God? And that got, you know, that created another set of <laughs> ideas and thinking. And the only way you can discover how deep you are in the things of God is really by asking questions. Amen? Y'all sit here with me this morning? So one of the things we're going to do in this series, and I, and I encourage you to do it, and I, and I encourage you, you know, to be honest with yourself, but, I, you know, and I'm speaking also to our online church. Of course, they're just as important as you guys are. But I would like to know, you know, in the next two or three weeks, obviously the first couple of weeks will be the teaching, but then after that, I would like to address some of your questions. And the way we're going to do it is, you know, if you can, you know, send me, you can PM, you know, private message me through, through Facebook, you can text me, however you want to do it. And, you know, obviously I can't address every question everybody has, but we're going to pick through a few of them, because, you know, as Christians, we have questions. You know, last night there were a lot of questions. You know, when people go home after you pray for them a lot, you have a lot of questions, right? So it's good to have questions because it, 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 it promotes, how can I put discovery in you? It promotes an idea to discover because a statement pretty much just finishes it, right? If I tell you, where are you going? You say Laredo, that's the end of conversation, right? I said a question, you answered it, it's finite. But if you leave it open, you know, to dig, by, by having that approach, now it becomes infinite, where a statement is finite, a question is infinite. Because a question, as long as you're asking it, 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 it grows, right? 
When it's finally answered, it stops. So when you think about how Jesus did it, it's because the reason, the, the rabbinical teaching and the reason Jesus taught with questions, and the, you know, it is very important that you understand this, is because as believers, we have to always be in that idea of, I want more. The moment that you think you know it all, you know, you've reduced your capacity to learn. Are you still here? How many know, like, when kids hit, like, that age at 13, 12, 13, 14, they automatically know everything from the universe? They become more smarter than their parents, more smarter than their grandparents. Anybody know that? All right. And then when you hit about 25, you realize how stupid you really were, and maybe you should have paid attention. And, you know, and I think as believers, we have to be careful because that happens to us, too. You know, I'm just kind of joking about kids, but, you know, you come to church, you're excited about church. You, you know, I'm talking about somebody that's brand new to church, really doesn't know what's going on. They have questions. They're hungry. But then you get very spiritual. You get very educated. And pretty soon you begin to set things in little boxes. And that is a very dangerous thing because you'll take a scripture that somebody taught you 10 years ago, and it was probably taught correctly. I'm not saying it wasn't taught right. But you know, God gives us depth. The day that this book stops speaking deep things into your life, then it just becomes a history book. It really does. I mean, this is a wonderful book. But unless it is digested spiritually, it is just a wonderful book. The power of this book is when it is digested spiritually. And the only way you can really pursue that is by continuing and continuing to have that, you know, almost that childlike faith because... You know, how many know, like, the little kids, you know, when they're little? What is it? Like 10,000 questions a day, which they don't really care to hear the answer. They just care to ask the questions, right? But I think as believers, we have to have that. And I come to God, and, and, and even more recently, I come to God, and I, what you've got to understand, I'm not saying you question God. I'm not questioning God, but I have questions for God. So the, so the approach to where we're going with the series, is not really to go into a place to say, what about this, God? It's more of a desire to know. It's more desire because unless you are pursuing it, God will leave you wherever you're at. I mean, he'll still love you there. And that's why you have shallow Christians. That's why you have deep Christians. They're all, they're all God's family. They all love God. They're all going to heaven. Well, I'm saying all, oh, but you know, I'm assuming if you made Jesus your Lord of your life, you know, you're going to heaven. But in your relationship with God and in your spiritual growth, you can either have a shallow Christianity or you can have something that's a little bit deeper. Because the deep thing is not about, you know, hyper-spiritual, because that's what Christians do, right? We think we're really spiritual and, you know, we walk around like we're almost floating and all that stuff. And that's not what God is pursuing. Jesus wasn't weird. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be weird. <laughs> Somebody said he's already weird. He can't help himself, you know. But, you know, the depth brings you also closer to him. So we're going to pursue, now, of course, there's 307 different questions, and there's no way I'm going to try to pursue every one of them, especially not in this series. And at at the tip of this thing, I only picked four questions out of all the 307 questions that Jesus asked. And we're going to kind of dig into them, and hopefully, you know, I want you to open your mind a little bit and kind of have a different approach, because I know the Lord will speak to you this morning. And I know you will leave with something that maybe you've been searching or maybe you've asked. But I want to encourage you also because, you know, one of the, one of the grave mistakes that Christianity, and I, want to, I, want to, I was going to say evangelical, but I just believe everywhere. Christian-isms or Christianity 
is the danger, and this is where I'm at right now in my spiritual walk with God and in my search for things of God. The danger that the church, it includes you know, pastors and leaders primarily, they're the ones that cause it, that we decided to say, look, we are free spiritually, yes, right? We sing songs where the spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. But the problem is, what happens if somebody planted a preconceived idea in your head about something that God is or God isn't? So on this side, you're, you're pursuing spirituality, but now you've locked yourself into something because some man or woman or somebody taught you, and that teaching has limited completely your, your search for something deeper now. Because you're like, well, that scripture means that. Boom, locked in. You, you got me? So, how, so I, I made a, you know, just some of the notes before we, we get into the, into the meat of this. And I wrote this, you know, obviously two weeks ago, but it says, how can you have spiritual freedom if spiritual thought is controlled? Think about it. How can you say we're spiritually free on one side, but on the other side, because of preconceived man ideas, and I want to emphasize on man, we lock ourselves into a deeper place that God could take us because our religion, our denomination, our priest, or our pastor said something. I include myself in, the, in this conversation. So you've got to be careful because God goes deeper than our theology. Hello? God goes way deeper than any denomination. He, he, and by the way, he didn't, he didn't start denominations. We started that. I got one better for you. We, st- we started this church thing. The way we have it, nothing wrong with it. I mean, it works. It's good. It's nice. But this is, this is not what the church looked like in the, in, in the book of Acts. You know, and, and again, we evolve and we do things and we try to, you know, adapt to situations and, you know, schedules and everything. And that's, that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But at the end of the day, if we're not careful, we'll begin to lock things in to certain categories. So even though you're saying, I'm free spiritually, yes, but what about the spiritual boundaries not spiritual boundaries, but boundaries that have been set regarding God's word because somebody either wasn't deep enough or they didn't really understand it or they, or they themselves were shallow in the revelation. Are you still with me? So once you say it, well, that's it. You know, the pastor said it, the priest said it, my religion says it. And guys over here, look, look, I got something. You're like, nope, this is the way it was taught. So you cannot have spiritual freedom till spiritual thought is released and not controlled. And everything, including anything I teach you, pay attention to this statement, anything I teach you should be a guide for you. That's all it is. It should be just a simple, you know, a guide to get you to something that God's dealing with you in your own personal life. And you, and you hear, you know, some people say, well, you know, this preacher said that, or somebody said that, or somebody said that. And that is a little, you know, that's okay, but if that's the final authority in your life, then you have a problem. Because if the preacher didn't say what God says, now you've got an issue. Because the only thing we have, church, is the truth of God's word. We don't have anything else. You got me? We really don't have anything else. This is it. We either believe this or we don't. And I can write 10,000 books about this, but at the end of the day, you have to get to this. Nothing wrong with writing books. I read a lot of books about the Bible. I read a lot of books, of Christian books. But at the end of the day, they're all good, but if, are they taking me to deeper truth or are, are, they just, are they binding me to a spiritual thought where I can't, you know, it's going to take time. So everything you read in the context of Christianity, you should be able to back it up with the word, and you should be able to back it up in context. Not just, well, you know, the Bible says. 
you know, you bring that truth, and then, and that's where we are today. All right. So, what do questions do? Well, questions always elicit information. Questions inspire people to discover something new, to unearth new knowledge. Questions also persuade people. Questions stimulate thought. And I like this one. Questions birth intimacy. How do you know somebody if you don't ask questions? When you meet somebody, what's the first? What's your name? Where are you from? What do you do? Where do you go to school? And maybe somewhere in one of those questions, you'll find something that you have in common with that person, right? Something you're, you're digging to find a bond. Yes? That's what questions do. I mean, you didn't just stand one day in front of the altar and you're like, now who's this guy? I'm going to marry him? <laughs> your name, sir? <laughs> first time the guy hears, you know, the first time you hear the guy's name is when I said, do you? And I say his name. Oh, that's your name? Cool. No, you're not going to fall. I mean, that's silly. You're not going to fall into that kind of relationship. Well, some of you say, oh, yes, I did. But no. <laughs> if I would have only known, right? Well, maybe you didn't ask enough questions. That's why you're in the mess you're in now. <laughs> no, you ask, you know, you, you, intimacy. So I think of all the things that questions bring us, I think the big one is we have to also create those questions in our relationship with God. Because unless you really create some form of intimacy, I'm talking, God, I'm angry today. Help me. God, what about this? God, what about that? That kind of relationship can only come by knowing him. So let's, you know, I know that's a real long introduction. So let's get right into it. Let's go to the first one. So the first question, um, you go, go ahead and skip that one. Just give me the, right there. So let's go to John chapter 1, verse 35 and verses through 39. And we're going to deal with the first question. Like I said, I picked four questions. We could have picked a lot more out of 307. And these are the ones that I believe we're going to get some insight in this series. Number one, what are you looking for? John 1, 35. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, seeing them following, and said to them, What do you seek? In other words, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? So it's, you know, let's just stop right there. So Jesus asks the question, and the disciples respond with a completely unrelated question, which is pretty interesting. Because they say, what are you looking for? And the answer should have been, you know, water, something, help, love. No, they said, where are you staying? So let's keep reading. I'll break all this down. Then Jesus turned and said to them, following, said, What do you seek? They said, Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. So the very first question that Jesus asked is, What are you looking for? Now I'm going to break down the, the response of the disciples in a moment, but let's, let's kind of dig into that a little bit because. All of us on our search for something, I even asked you this, you know, I could ask you this morning, don't, don't answer, but what are you looking for? Because here's what's happening. Now, I want you to play out this scenario. These are John's disciples. These aren't Jesus' disciples. But John has, has a commission. John has a mission, and he was, he was called, his, his, his whole calling in life was to announce the coming of Jesus. That was his whole mission. And he came, and he pursued it, and he did it, and he, and he had the honor and the privilege of baptizing Jesus in water. But his mission pretty much stopped there. Now, he still has his disciples, he still has his followers, but then John 
to, you know, he didn't really say it to his disciples, but he kind of did. He said, hey, you see that guy? That's the Lamb of God. Now, if you, if you see the picture that's going on, I can almost see, like, John and his disciples are just hanging out. They're just sitting down. And Jesus is walking by. And as he walks, he points to them. He's not really coming to see them. And, as, and as when they hear that, the disciples of John say, that's the Lamb of God? Now, they, now they're interested, right? So the question you know, becomes, what is it that you are looking for? Because, <laughs> wow, let's see how we're going to dig into this. I'll tell you what, let, let, me, let me give you the response and then I'll, then I'll dig into it, because if not, it's gonna, I'm going to be all over the map. The second part of the conversation, that, that, let, let me just get this one, because it's really, really good. So Jesus asks, what do you seek? They say, where are you staying? And he says, come and see. That idea of come and see, and I, and I studied just that little phrase, it, it, it wasn't like, hey, come and look at my house. That's not what Jesus meant. That is an invitation to be part of him. Come and see is an invitation to say, what are you looking for? Where are you staying? Come and see. That's really the answer to both questions. Right? What are you looking for? You know, where are you going with this? And then he invites them into that close relationship. Now let's bring it into this where we are this morning. Because we live in a, in a society, and, and all of us are affected by this. You know, maybe the kids aren't as much, but they will be. Because everyone on this, especially in America, is affected by this. That we live in a society that has taught us, has programmed us for years and years and years. It programmed your parents, probably even your grandparents to a point. Maybe not before that, because society was very different. But it was really a pursuit of things... And, and this is really the definition of materialism. If you want the definition of what materialism is, I'm going to give it to you right now. Because sometimes, they, you know, we get, oh, you, you know, you preachers, if you, if you even dare mention the word prosperity, they're like, oh, you're, you're materialistic. No, we're not materialistic. Because the definition of materialism is very simple. The de- definition of material, I'm talking from a spiritual angle, not from a Webster's dictionary. But the definition of materialism means that you want to fulfill a spiritual need with a material thing. And that's like the peg trying to put it through the square hole. It's not going to go in. You cannot meet a spiritual need with material things. That's materialism. Now, on the other side, prosperity is the ability that God will put on your ability for you to meet the needs of other people. That's true prosperity. True prosperity is not how much money you got in the bank. True prosperity is not how many cars you have in the garage. True prosperity is do you have the ability to meet somebody's need? Now, if you keep those two in line, you'll never go off on a weird place with this. Because prosperity, you know, you could, be, you could have $20 in your pocket today, and you bump into somebody that doesn't have gas over at Stripes, and you give them $10, guess what? You're walking in prosperity. Even though, all that, even though that's all you got to your name is 20 bucks, but you were able to meet somebody else's need. That's true prosperity. Amen. Okay, so now that we resolve this, Let's talk a little about this, because as Christians, we have to be careful to, to, to that same question that he asked his disciples is really a question that Jesus is asking all of us even this morning. What are you looking for? You know, what, what is the, the, the deep desire of God? Because, you know, things, material things will never satisfy that. 
Let me just go a couple notes. What's the next slide on that, RJ? Because I got all mixed up when I was preparing this. Okay, here, here we go. So here are three questions that he's really asking them. And these are three questions that he's asking you. You're like, Pastor, this whole series is going to be about questions with questions. Well, the title is a question mark, so I didn't keep you in the dark. <laughs> what are you looking for? What is, what is the final goal of our spiritual walk? Is, is it the only thing we're looking for not to go to hell? There's a lot of Christians that that's the only reason they follow Jesus. Because they're scared of going to hell. And I mean, it's valid. It's good enough. But is that it? Is there something else? Are, are we just trying to miss hell? Or is there something deeper? So, you know, we, you know this is, you're, you're, if you're expecting me to give you an answer, I can't give you an answer. Because at the end of the day, this is where your thought and your time with God, and I'm telling you, this week you should take it, and I've been doing it myself. You know, I taught this for two different services up in New York, and as I was teaching, I was like under conviction. I'm like, okay, I need to do that, and I need to do that, and I need to do that, because, you know, we really need to pursue God from that inquisitive position of a child. Like, you know, when you were, when your little kids bombard you with 10,000 questions a day, you know, God, what about this? God, what about that? Because unless we are digging, he doesn't, he's not going to answer. That's just, I mean, if something I've learned in walking with Jesus over 30 years of my life is that he will not interfere in your business if you don't want him to. That I've learned. He'll love you. He'll stand on the side. Hey, Amen. You guys are so quiet. Did H do something to y'all? Or? or you guys were rough on H that he told me, I'm not going to church on Sunday. I said, what do they do to you? Tough crowd, huh? What are you looking for? What are you looking for when you come to church on Sunday? What are we looking for? Because what I want to look for maybe is not really what I'm supposed to be looking for. So could there be another question? What will satisfy your deepest need? Well, Pastor, that's, I don't even know what my deepest need is now. So you see how this begins to grow? And I'm telling you, if you get if you would take a devotional moment of your week, I'm talking not in your car praying to Jesus while you're fixing your eyeliner. Not that y'all do that, right? Or for the guys in your cars talking to Jesus while you're checking your bank account on your phone. No. Take some time this week. I'm telling you, find an hour. You guys spend more time on Facebook than you do in your Bible. All right. Just give God an hour and don't go with any preconceived agenda. You go with one question. Lord, what am I looking for? I want you to tell me what I'm looking for. Because I might be so dense that I might be here for the wrong intentions. What am I looking for? Because, you know, we have to be careful that this materialistic idea is not just stuff that you buy at a store. It can include anything. It can include people, and it can include so many things in your life that you fill your life with things, thinking that those things are the things that satisfy your deepest need, and you keep stuffing it and stuffing it and stuffing it, and guess what? Your deepest need is still there. Because you cannot, you will never get enough of that which does not satisfy. Amen? You know, in counseling addictions and and different things like that, 
one of the definitions, you know, and addictions can be anything. They're not just drugs, it can be anything. Anything that you've lost control over. Amen? And, the, and, the, and you know, the other side of an addiction is simply the choice to abstain. When you have lost your choice to abstain of anything, you're not in control. Amen? Come on, say amen. You're going to feel quiet. So really, you know, what is our deepest need? Because when we lose the choice, when we don't have control over abstaining from anything, there's people that get addicted to shopping. There's people that get addicted to Facebook. They get anything. Because an addiction, really, what it is, it's trying to pull you into a place where you don't have to deal with the real stuff that's going on. That's really what it's about. And some people will go to the mall and spend $3,000 because for the two hours that they're spending all that money, they're not thinking about their miserable existence. And as soon as they're done shopping, it all piles right back in, right? And they're throwing stuff in the car and weeping at the same time. That's no different than the guy that does drugs. That's no different than the guy that can't put the bottle down. That's no different than anything. There are some people that are addicted to conflict. There are some people, if they're not strife in their life, they're not happy. And if they're not destroying everybody else's life with strife, they're not happy. So you can, be, you, know, you can have an addiction of so many forms. So in other words, if you want a definition, is simply, is there anything in your life that you cannot abstain from? That, has, that you've lost the control of that. Whatever that is. I mean, it can be many, 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 many things. You know, so, I, so I don't want to do it. So what will satisfy that deepest need? That really is the question that is asked. In other words, what will bring you joy? If, if you were to answer that, don't answer it right now, but if I was saying, right now, if you were to leave this building, what is the one thing that would bring joy into your life? Can you answer that? Some of you may say, well, and that's kind of connecting me to the second point, so I don't want to get completely over there, but, you know, what are those things? Because you have to be able to define these things. Because what are you looking for is such a deep question. I mean, it's deep in the context. It really sets you apart because... Once I'm asking it to you, and I don't raise your hand, but you can raise it on the inside. How many have never even thought about that? You're like, I never thought about it. I just go to church because that's what you're supposed to do. Well, that's the wrong idea. When you come here, you're not here to see a preacher. You're here to get a word from God. Thank you for your holy grunt. All right. What are you looking for? Jesus never provides easy answers. Instead, he asks questions to take us beyond the obvious to do something deeper. And one of the things that you're going to find about Jesus, even in this context, contrary to what a lot of times how Jesus is portrayed, he does not offer spiritual tips. He does not offer the ten steps, the five steps. And again, those, nothing wrong with teaching the Bible that way. But if you're not careful, you get married to that, right? I got the, you know, the, the six steps of prayer that brings result. And your, and your prayer life is, or something happens and it doesn't go your way, so you immediately go, beat yourself up and say, well, I think I missed point four. Jesus didn't teach that way. He didn't give us a tip. Amen? He didn't give us a hashtag. He gave us a question. So, once again, you know, what will bring you joy? What's the next one, RJ? I don't have a breakdown site. Okay, just skip that one. Because I already, I already talked about that. Okay, let's go to the next one. Because they're, they're connected. These four questions, and again, if I don't finish the four questions today, don't, you know, we'll, we'll pick them up next week. But I want you at least to understand. So in John 20, we're going to pick up with a different one. They're very similar to the first one, but it, there's a one big difference. Um, who are you looking for? Do you remember in the first one was what? Now it becomes personal. Who? So let's, let's pick up that question, and, and this, is a, you know, this is at the resurrection of Christ. 
You guys know the story. So in John 20, 15, Mary, well, I'm sorry, verse 11 to 15, 11 through 15, Mary stood outside of the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been and one at the head at the other the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? I mean, he asked her two questions, right? But the second question is really the one I want to work with. Who is it that you're looking for? Who is it that you're looking for? Now, let's talk about Mary for a moment. Mary knows that this is a son. If there's one person on the planet that knows that she knows that she knows that she knows that this is the son of God, it's her. Amen? This is the one and only person in history, and nobody else ever, and nobody before her, was pregnant supernaturally. So she knows who this, who, who, what's going on. But she's still a human. Amen? And you can relate to her because she's a mom. She's a grieving mom that just saw her son crucified. And in the Jewish tradition, you have to prepare the body. The Jewish believe that the spirit would hang around for three days. And they would go and anoint it and change the garments and so forth and so on. That just was a tradition of the day. So as the tradition demanded, they're headed to the tomb. But how is she coming to the tomb? Is she coming as a grieving mom? Yes, obviously. Is she coming... Because she believed Jesus? Everything that we find in, in the Gospels indicate that Mary expected to see the body there. Amen? She's human. Even though she knows it's the Son of God. I mean, there's no doubt in her heart that she knows where, she knows where this kid came from. We know they're going because if you read it throughout different Gospels, it gives you, each Gospel gives you a little insight. Some of them as as they went to prepare the body. So we know they were headed to the tomb, not with the idea to see an empty tomb. So you have to wonder, maybe she didn't really understand. First of all, let's, let's not make any harsh judgments on Mary, because she really didn't understand. The disciples didn't understand. They, they were, everyone was convinced that Jesus was going to start a revolution. I'm talking natural, overthrow the government revolution. That's what everybody believed. So as things are getting complicated, they're starting to wonder, like, whoa, maybe this... And Jesus never said that's what he was going to bring. That's just what they assumed he was going to bring. Assumptions are dangerous, you know that? So when they come to the tomb, and now they find the body's gone, and they find that Jesus is up, Mary is grieved. And she tells you once again, in this reading in John, she expects the body to be there. They have taken the body. So maybe, you know, she knows it's the Son of God, but maybe she didn't really understand what this resurrection was because nobody had really ever heard of something like this. But the question that Jesus asked is so profound because really at the end of the day is, who are you looking for? And now now let's bring that question into our life. So we've decided, you know, what are we looking for? We left that one out there. What is really the deep desires that we seek when we seek God? But then the next one is, because that one is kind of 
selfish, right? I mean, not, not that it's wrong, but it's kind of like, I need, I need, I help, I want, I need. Nothing wrong. But now it becomes completely different because now the question is not, what are you looking for? Now it becomes a person. Who are you looking for? And it's amazing because what is the, what is the response or what should have been the response from Mary? Because it could have been one of various responses. I'm not looking for Jesus. She already said that. I'm looking for my Lord. I expected him dead. He's not. He's not here. Well, she doesn't know he's alive. He's, you know, he, first, the first encounter is angels. She doesn't know if they're angels or they're just people there working. There's other references to that. What we actually see is a mom that didn't really know what she was looking for. She expected a body, but if she had really heard and understood, nobody in that parade, not Mary, not Mary Magdalene, not anybody else, not the few disciples that decided to go check on him once they told him the tomb was empty, not any of them expected to see a resurrected Savior. So now let's bring that into, who are we looking for? You know, we live in a time, and younger people probably won't be able to relate to some of the things I'm telling you, some of these things are disappearing very quickly just as culture changes. But, you know, years ago, I used to frequent a lot of Christian bookstores. I don't, think, I don't even know if it's a thing now. I mean, I haven't probably been at a Christian bookstore for years and years because, you know, if you find a Christian book I want, I just buy it online, right? I don't have to go to Corpus anymore. I used to go to Corpus. Y'all remember over there, the Christian bookstore? But ever since, you know, and I'm talking years and years ago, and I always liked Christian bookstores. Don't misunderstand me. But it, what always kind of just irked me a little bit is that I would walk into a Christian bookstore, you know, nice bookstore, everything's good, and everything in front of my face is a human's face. You know what I'm saying? All these different authors, probably good stuff, probably good stuff in all the books. But if I ask them for a Bible, Joe, I have to go in the back. It just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. You know, it's like, we got all these wonderful people that know a lot of things about God right on the f- as soon as you walk in. And I'm not going to say names, but you know what I'm talking about. And I'm not talking one author, women, men, you know, all, and some of them are very powerful. Some of them I respect highly, you know. You guys know I have a high respect for people like Joyce Meyer and other like that. that you know, they've really ministered in my life over the years. Nothing wrong with that. But my problem with that was really, what I, my, like really the first point I told you. We need to be more concerned about what this says than about what I think it says. Or anybody else. This book should pr- pr- prompt you to, to go read something else to get more insight. But if we're not careful, pretty soon we put this down and the question comes up in, who are you looking for? Are you looking for the rock star preacher? Are you looking for, you know, Joyce to give you some depth into some, and nothing wrong with that. But really, who are you looking for? And these two points are connected. I'm not done, you know, I'm not, it's not like I close point one and I open point two. I'm going to connect some of the ideas here. Because we know she was crying. We know she's upset. And if this is the one person that should know that maybe she didn't understand the resurrection part, I get that part. So I'll cut her some slack there. But, you know, this is somebody who was intimate with Jesus. So imagine us. This is Jesus' mom. Are you kidding me? In our struggles, in our daily activity, when we got to face difficult situations, when we got to go into places like this tomb where we don't know what's going on, when we face a situation that it's supposed to be this way, but it's completely different, when your expectation was that this was supposed to be this way, let me help you, church. Let me help you real quick. This world is not fair, so stop thinking it. 
It's fair. That is, a wor- that is one of the most dangerous things we fall into, thinking, you know, you know even dealing with some of the things that I, I dealt with personally in my own heart, you know, last night and with the family and, and being at the hospital and all that. You know, you look at this, and you look at the situation, and, I, and as I was I praying, I said, I know this is not fair. I know this is unjust. This is not supposed to be this way. A mom's not supposed to bury her kids. So we live in a dirty, unjust world. And more than ever, in the same world they lived. What they did to Jesus was completely unjust. Mock trial, mock everything. Nothing but good did this man do. For three and a half years of his life, nothing but good did he do for the people, but yet they still put him on a cross, right? There's no, there's no fairness in this. And once you resolve, okay, I get it. Not that I'm negative and I'm going to be all depressed. No, I'm going to enjoy my life, but I get it. Now I move into, because that is that system, I really have to understand, when I am pursuing the things of God, who is it that I'm looking for? Because many times, you know who you're looking for? You ready for this one? You're looking for you. You're looking for some justification. Amen. Who are you looking for? Come on, guys. Y- y'all know we, we, I'm not saying everybody, but a lot of people are wired this way. When your life is out of rhythm, you will pursue justification. Amen. And you will try to find support to justify the situation that you put yourself into. Uh-huh. And we have to be honest as believers to move beyond that and simply say, who am I looking for when I come to church? Am I looking for me? If I'm, am I looking for pastor to say, hey, am I looking for the latest Christian author to speak some positivity in my life? You know, a lot of these books out there, again, I'm not knocking it, but if you took all the Jesus references out of it and all the scripture out of it, Yanis, you'd have a great motivational book. Just take the Jesus out and take the Christian references out. Don't, t- don't change anything else in the book. And you have a book written by a secular psychiatrist or psychologist. Pretty good stuff, you know. It might be good stuff. But it's something you can go buy that has no spirituality context in it. So we have to ask these questions constantly. What am I pursuing? Well, you know, I'm not pursuing a job. I'm not pursuing a ministry. I'm, I really, you know, what am I pursuing? Because even as a pastor, if you're not careful, you get program-driven, you get church-driven, you get all driven by all these things. And at the end of the day, I still have to have a relationship with him. Amen. So I have to ask myself the same question. Who is it that I'm looking for? Am I looking to build a church so I can feel good about it? Or am I looking to build a church so he can feel good about it? If I forgive you, am I looking to feel warm, cuddly feeling in me because I released you of your sin? Or am I forgiving you because God told me to do it? Who are you looking for? You know, there's a lot of these things in us that we have to admit at some point that we we have motivations and we have things in our heart that maybe, you know, the questions of Jesus that he asked were really to dig. And hopefully bring something to the surface that maybe hasn't been revealed yet. I know, I know in my life I'm finding a lot of things because, like I told you right at the beginning of this sermon, well, God will not interfere in your life unless you invite him in. And, and you know how you invite him? By questions. Lord, can you show me? Lord, can you tell me 
Who am I looking for? Lord, can you show me what am I looking for? And if I'm not looking for the right things, and I'm not looking for the right, right person, can you correct that, Lord? Have you noticed all these are questions? I didn't go with justification. I didn't go like, Jesus, you know how it is down here, you know. You have a big fight with your wife or your husband, and you go, and, and God says, fix it. And you're like, Jesus, you never were married. You don't understand any of this. So. Or do you follow the truth? And I know that's silly, but there's a lot of things like that, right? God will deal with us on something. And the question is, because, you know, like I said, we're, Christians are a funny bunch, I'm telling you. We're, I, I'm sure the angels are like, oh, God, I'm glad you made them. They're so funny. I won't even go down that path because I have so many thoughts over that one. Number three. Let's just go to number three. This is the big one. We got time. We got time. Number three, Matthew 20, verses 29 through 34. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. And two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called him and said, this is such an interesting question, right? What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be open. Moved with compassion, I like that one. Jesus touched their eyes. And immediately they regained their sight and followed him. This is a question that if I would have been the blind guy, I would have said, hello, Mr. Obvious. You got two blind guys in front of you. And they're crying out to Jesus. Again, this is the reason I'm using this as an analogy. Remember I told you, again, I'm going to say for the third time. Maybe you'll get it this time. You'll get it this time. God will not interfere with you unless you invite him to. Unless you ask the questions, and even if you ask the right questions. So once again, get this in the... Jesus is walking. Son of David, have mercy on us. He's still walking. Son of David. Now he stops, and he looks. And he sees two blind guys. It's obvious that they're blind. They're living outside the city. They're living in... Sick people camps, if you want to call it that, that's the way it was. And he knows they're blind. So it's almost like it's almost like a dumb question, but it's not a dumb question. Because it's like, uh, Jesus, why would you even ask that? Because Jesus is digging into something deeper than the than the obvious. And again, you know, this 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 question presents a very, very deep idea because. If Jesus was standing in front of you, and Jesus asked you, what do you want me to do? You know, what, 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 what is it that you want me to do for you? And we come up with very obvious answers. Nothing wrong with that, but we're like, Jesus, help me pay my electric bill. Jesus, help me with the pay, car payment this month. Jesus, heal my body. Jesus, don't let COVID get on me. Jesus, 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 Jesus. All valid, all great. But what if Jesus is asking you to go deeper on that question? What is it exactly 
that you want me to do? Because, you see, that question in itself is really putting a demand not on the physical aspect of these people, but the heart of the man. And a very limited answer. Because if you are standing in front of Messiah, Yeshua, God, and he tells you, what do you want me to do for you? You know, a lot of us might just leave it at a very, 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 very superficial level, and he would still answer it. And and again, this is just kind of a very open-ended illustration, but if you said, Jesus, can you, they're going to cut my lights out. Can you pay it? Okay, and something happens, you know. Electricity gets paid. What if the answer would have been, I don't want ever to have be backed up on any of my bills. What if the answer goes deeper? What if it's, Lord, I want to be a blessing to somebody that can't pay their electricity. Are you tracking with me now? You see, the, the death is coming from you. It's not coming from him. He just simply asks, what are you looking for? So if we're at a shallow level where it's a, Help me out of this need. Help me out of this crisis. Help me out of this emergency. The deeper one would be, use me to be somebody's miracle. Because more than once, your God has told you from the Old Testament to the New. Again, very loose paraphrase. But he has told you in no uncertain terms, through the Psalms, through the Proverbs, through the Promises, of the Old Covenant, through the promise of the New Testament, that he would supply all your needs according to your riches and glory. So if you really think about that, that shouldn't even be a question, should it? Nonetheless, we throw that question all day, all day every day, all of us. I'm guilty. Again, you know, think about it. Once God says, I will supply all your needs according to your riches and glory, In the Old Testament, he said, I've never seen a righteous man beg bread. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. See, there's a lot of things that he's already talked about. How many of you hate answering the same question? Just raise your hand. I'm in a stage in my life, (laughs) and I don't know how it's tracking with my family just yet, but I have to, I'm making some adjustments in my own life, you know. I got to get healthier, I got to do. But a lot of things pound on me because, as you know, I'm not just a pastor. I'm a dad. I'm a grandpa. I'm a lot of things. I wear a lot of hats. So I finally told, you know, some of the key people in my life, I said, you can, I'm going to tell you twice whatever I need to tell you twice. I'm not going to repeat it a third time, and I'm not even going to get mad anymore. I'm just going to let you figure it out. You don't think, you know, and it's helping me. It's really giving me, like, stability now because, you know, something comes up and I say, do it this way, but that, do it this way, but do whatever you want to. I'm done. Not mad, not upset. I'm just done. You're not, I'm not going to lose my joy because I'm not going to repeat myself 15 times. You don't want to do it? Then you'll learn it one way or the other. You know, I'm 55. I've learned a few things. I can build you a bridge. I can tell you what roads not to go down in life. But if you want to discover for yourself, go for it. And I think Jesus' approach sometimes is like that. 
He doesn't barge into your life. He just simply says, what do you want me to do? What do you want, Joe? What do you want me to do? Pay my bills. Get me out of debt. Okay, I got that. I can take care of that. Is that it? What if there's a deeper thing? So this is this question, you know, to me is like, the blind men are, you know, they're blind. Okay, I got that. So why is he asking that? What if one of the blind men had said, Lord, I just want to be restored. Everything I had before this blindness came. That would be way bigger than just eyesight. Because from this reading, all we got was eyesight. Where they could have gotten everything back. You see, sometimes we limit Jesus' capacity to take us to a deeper and a, not, not, this, is, this is really good. This is from the Lord, because I can't think this good. A deeper, but a higher place with him. And it's all based on the questions that you ask. So before going to the superficial level of meet all my needs, because he already said he's going to meet them, so really, you know, you're asking the person the same question twice, and it's going to be, you know, I sometimes feel like God says, well, I already took care of that. When are you going to start believing it? It is amazing when you begin, and, and by the way, it'll, it'll come into this series at some point, or, or might be at the end, or might be a brand new one, but this is really in the cooker right now, is learning how to cast cares. Practical ways to cast your cares. And I had a great testimony of this, and I'll share it with you. I'll share it to the church. I th- some of you might know, some of you might not know, because I wasn't here last week, so I don't know how much H shared. Um, but, you know, two weeks ago, we, we had a little problem here, our, our unit, AC unit in the, the wing, you know, the children's church or, you know, jam club nursery, went completely out. And we've been patching that unit for 22 years. <laughs> so we ran out of patches. The guy just said, it's done, done. And, of course, you know, we were dealing with a lot of things. And, you know, I, guess, I, guess, I don't know what you guys' context of what, how much this church has or doesn't have. But when you get stuck with an unexpected $3,600 bill, that's a pretty big bill. This church, you know, doesn't move that kind of where you can say, yeah, just come on and bring it, fix it. No, we're not there yet. I wish we were. We're not there yet, but we will be. And when I heard it, and I was here Friday, you know, Gilly, I just happened, we happened to meet. And Gilly, thank you, Gilly, by the way, for helping us take care of that. And then later on, you know, he took care of it. And then, he got, and then I asked him, I asked Gilly on, on I guess Sunday, I said, so what is it going to be? And he said, 36. The very first thing when you tell me 30, well, 36 and whatever, you know, I was like, oh. <laughs> Anybody who's a good that? But then the two previous days to that, I've been working on this idea of casting my care. And when he told me that, I think I told you, I might, I might be wrong because it's been two weeks ago, but I said something like, I don't care anymore. I said something like that. And I, and I know Kathy kind of told me, she, first she didn't really kind of, she told me what was going on and said, Kathy, I don't care anymore. She looked at me like, somebody needs to care. <laughs> No, but what I was trying to get across is, I said, I don't care anymore. In the context of casting your cares. In other words, in the context of Jesus said he would supply all our needs according to his riches and glory. That includes his house. That one's not on me anymore. And Sunday, you know, maybe maybe it came out a little blunt or a little harsh, but it wasn't like that. I was really talking spiritual. When I stood up here and said, if that building is on next week, wonderful. If it stays shut down for six months, I don't care. I didn't mean it in a negative way. I was really trying to release the care of that. See, I'm preaching a sermon I was supposed to preach later. But that's okay. Somebody needs to hear it. 
I chose to, because I'm getting to the testimony. I chose to cast it as soon as they told me the price. I'm like, Lord, Gilly needs to talk to you. <laughs> well, before the end, I don't know, at the end of the service, a gentleman from our church came up and said, Pastor, uh, I'm, I'm going to take care of, the, care of that. And then somebody else gave another significant amount of money to that. So by the end of the service, the AC is taken care of. Now, we're just waiting, obviously, to, you know, for the money to move through and call the guy and put the new system. Before this, as soon, you know, when he told me that, I said, I don't care. And I said, there's another person, I don't care. And then I told you guys, I don't care. And at the end of the service, God took care of it. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap. You all be real quiet for that. You should give him a hand clap because I would be picking up an offering at this point. And you're like, ooh, no, thank you, Jesus. It is not coming out of my pocket, all right? So the questions that, 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 that in this situation that was being approached is really a question that we need to dig in because one of the things that comes from this question is really perspective. And I was looking up at this word perspective, and I don't know if I put a slide with the definition. I'll just hit, hit the next one. Let's see what pops up because I really edited. There you go. You should see this is eight pages of notes compressed into eight slides or something. So perspective. This is the definition, but I want to point out the last sentence has really helped me. The interpretation in which a subject or its parts are mentally viewed places the issue in proper perspective, which is, and I put it in big, bold, capitalized letters, point of view. Point of view. The capacity to view things, pay attention, in their true relations to relative importance. I know this is deep, but Perspective is everything. Because when Jesus asks you, what do you want me to do for you, he's immediately challenging you to see where your perspective is. Because your perspective could be very shallow. Pay the bills. And he loves you in the shallow, and he loves you in the deep, but he'll take care of the bills. So perspective is really the capacity, and this is what I want you to get, to view things in the true relationship. Because when Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do? I'm going to tell you the very first thing you've got to think about. What are the things in your life that are out of your control? Because we have a tendency, I don't know if it's just human nature or we're just stubborn and stupid, we have a tendency to keep being depressed and being upset and losing money and just being a knot over tons of things that we have absolutely no control over. Amen. I'm not going to give you a list, but I can give you a list of things that we're not in control over. The one thing you're not in control over is other people. Unless they're like two. And, and that might be limited control, trust me. Right, Leanne? <laughs> Parents, we think we're in control. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. I mean, what are you in control of? What is within your circle of influence? Because whatever's in your cir- within your circle of influence, I'm going to tell you how God works. He kind of expects you to figure it out. I mean, he'll give you wisdom, and he'll give you insights, but you're going to put the elbow grease, if I may. But once you move into circumstances and situations that are affecting you, that are out of your control, he becomes the expert of that. He is the God of the impossible. Not the possibles. 
I mean, he's still the God of everything, but I'm saying the possibles, he will grant you everything you need to take care of the possibles. He'll give you the money. He'll give you insight. He'll give you the right people. He'll help you, but you'll still have to put your effort into resolving. But there are situations, and you're probably dealing with some even today. I know I am. I think we deal with them our whole life. I mean, you know, once you're on your own, there's tons of stuff that are out of my control. For example, like using an example, you know, the testimony I just used, when something comes into this place, you know, there's to, a, to a point I'm in, I can control the situation, but there's one point where I'm out of control, and that's the point I cast my care. And I think it's vital, and I'm probably going to do a teaching at some point, you know, if not this year, at some point, I'm really working on some of these insights about how do we actually, you know, what are the practical steps to understand this? What are the practical steps to say, okay, how do I keep things that are out of my control, how do I keep those things from completely stressing me out? And I'll give you an example. The COVID, news, everything. You know, guess what? COVID's out of your control. You want to put the masks on, do whatever. I'm not, I'm not going to knock any of that. But it is in a place where you, ha- you can make decisions about it. You can make a decision about the vaccination or not to get it. But that decision should be based on reason and not ideology. Amen. I don't want to get on this trip. But it's important that you hear it. Because there are some people that are making some bad decisions. Because it's not a God decision, it's an ideology decision. I am completely, and I'll state my my position right now, in front of you, in front of our online audience, in front of anybody else at Facebook wants it, they can have it too. My position with this thing is, I don't have any problems with the vaccinations. What I have a huge problem, big, is the mandate. Not, Not vaccinations, they're just like any other vaccination. As far as I'm concerned, I've done my research. That's where the reason comes in. And you need to be talking to your doctor, talking to your God, and make a decision. But there are numbers. There's science. And I'm not talking the science that's been politicized. There's real science if you really dig for it. If you really dig for it, there's real science. Your doctor could help you with the real science, not the political garbage that's out there. And then make a decision. But it shouldn't be a thing, because now it's become a thing of division. And it's, it, it's, you know, our current government is so supposedly anti-racist. Well, this whole vax versus anti-vax is racism. You know, up in New York City, it was, it was kind of funny. Uh, you know, I don't know if you guys have a context, but New Yorkers are actually pretty cool people. It's their crazy government that's not. But all, of all the establishments I went to, coffee shops, little restaurants, stores, especially the, the coffee shops and the restaurants had a big sign that says, if you want to come in here, you need to show. Nobody was enforcing it. <laughs> it was hilarious. The sign was there and nobody could care. Except one place. And that was a weird. But none of, you know, the, the whole point of it, it it's, it's being politicized and in the politi- politicization of it, that's a big word, you are getting sucked into seeking ideology and not seeking reason. And it could cost you your life. I'm just, you know, that's up to you. That's between you, God, and your doctor. But remember these things. Because you say, well, what does that even have to do with, with the message? Because the point of view is so important to things. 
Because we, we, you know, our point of view can be skewed by the media. And if you're hearing the wrong, I'm not, and again, I'm not a media guy. I don't, I, I, you know, I'll listen to the right wings, I listen to the left wing, I listen to the moderates, and at the end of the day, I believe very little of it. I'll see some pictures on TV. But you know why I'm done? I'm kind of like trying to wean myself, Joe, off the media. It's because, guess what? Little tiny revelation that I've gotten in the last few weeks. It's out of my control. Why am I going to lose? Why am I going to be all stressed out when it's completely out of my control? So, I'm not going to stress it. I do believe, as citizens, you have a place where you can be vocal, you have a right to protest, and guess what? You have a bigger, bigger right to vote. Now, that's how you fix things, right, in this country. But where I'm going, this is, you know, without getting off the message, perspective. I'm just using the COVID thing as a perspective that has been so skewed because I'm thinking if they hadn't played it the way they played it, most people would have probably gotten the vax. And the ones that didn't want to, oh, well, leave them alone. That's their business. Come on, say amen. Just leave them alone. If, you wouldn't have, if they would have not played it out so big, there would have been such a pushback. But the pushback is not based on science. The pushback is based on ideology. And there's a truth in the pushback because I don't agree with a mandate. And I will fight that. I will, if I can vote against that, if I can have a voice against that, I will do everything in my civic duty to keep that from happening. But I will not stress over it because I'm fixing my perspective because your optics really determine where your head's going to go. And when Jesus, I'm not off the message, when Jesus, you know, what if Jesus asks you the question? What if Jesus, you know, if you're getting all worked up over the COVID thing, what is, Jesus, what is the question you need to ask Jesus about that? I don't know. Maybe it is, Lord, am I right? How about this one? Lord, should I get it or shouldn't I get it? Instead of being fueled by all kinds of other stuff, on both sides, I'm talking both sides. One of them is fear-mongering and the other one is... They're both wrong. What did God say about it? See, God already spoke to me about it. He spoke to me coming back from Arizona. The first trip. <laughs> I did two trips this summer to Arizona. First trip to Arizona. He spoke to me. I wasn't even asking for it. I was just driving. The Lord spoke to me about it. Well, what did he tell you? That's my business. <laughs> Let's keep going. Your point of view... Well, let me just read you some of my notes. and we're, we're almost done. In a world where everything we are told from the White House to the newsroom, is in doubt, it is hard to try to maintain a good perspective, right? So, the set of ideas and values that look at the world is really what philosophy becomes, right? How, how do you look at the world? Well, the same thing is how do you look at God? Because this, this one point, go back, back up, RJ, so I can get back to the scripture. This, this one simple point that he's saying, what do you want me to do if you can dig into more into what Jesus was about than what Jesus did, you'll get to the answer. I'll repeat that. If you dig into and ask God and do your own meditation and do your own study, what was the philosophy of Christ? Because if you can begin to resolve that, then you're going to begin to ask better questions. Because this question, you know, says, what do you want me to do? Well, hello, Mr. Obvious, we're blind. Okay, you're healed. But there could have been so much more, right? I mean, you got God in front of you telling you, what do you want? And you limited it to such a tiny, tiny, tiny thing. 
You say, well, being blind is a big thing. Yes, but what if they would have said restoration? What if they would have said restoration of me? What if they would have said restoration of my family? What if they would have said, Lord, I want everyone here healed? Still the same God, right? He can still heal them all. But Jesus loads that question up because he's really, what is on your heart? What drives your desires? Are your desires driven by peace or are your desires driven by lust? And when I say lust, forget all the sexual tone to it. Anything that you desire that is completely out of your control. And then you'll do anything to get it and you finally get it. The problem with those desires is that sometimes you think you can't live without that thing and you get that thing and now you'll... You either got to pay on it or you married it. <laughs> and now you don't know what to do with it. Maybe you need to spend more time asking God, what do I really need? That's the question. And that's the question I want to close with this morning. Think about these questions this week. Before you go, in, and, I, and I really encourage you, because you guys are going to experience some things, and, and I'm going to give you two little tips to do this. You get your word. And don't, don't play Bible roulette. Don't go, okay, Lord, talk to me. <laughs> Judas hung himself. No, 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 not that one. <laughs> go part the Red Sea. Yeah, no, go, don't do that one. <clears throat> so this week, spend some time with the Lord. And go through, I, mean, I didn't hit the fourth one. We'll get that one next week. But spend some time with the Lord. I really mean it. Spend time with him and ask questions. You don't really need to tell Jesus anything because according to what we know, he knows everything. Have you, have you guys ever approached prayer because I've done it like you have a prayer request and you tell and you know exactly how he can fix it? You never done that? Oh, come on. All these honest Christians in this church. In other words, Lord, I need you to fix my wife because she needs to change this and this. And and if you can change all that, she'll be good. And God's just like, "Mm, that's cute. Maybe I should start changing you. You see what I'm saying? We have to, instead of going to Jesus with a bunch of requests and a bunch of needs, how about if we approach him with a few questions and then begin to see how he answers them? Because he'll answer them through a little kid. He'll answer them when you're driving down the highway. He'll answer them through some guy on the TV. He'll answer them through a preacher. He'll answer them to your spirit. So the only tip I'm asking you is ask the question and then spend some time here also. Well, what do I read? I don't know. Just pick anything. Pick a Psalms. Start in the book of Psalms. Well, how do I know he's talking to me? Well, you read till you go, whoa. <laughs> That's how it works. <laughs> You might have to read three chapters. You might have to read four chapters, but you're going to read one, one line, and you're like, oh, Jesus, yep, that's me. So this series, the premise of this series is really more than anything, more than anything, to get you to a place closer and deeper, and hopefully by the end of this series we can tear down a few religious walls of ideas that have been created in our head, of things that were taught to us, things that were told us, that really don't line up with the philosophy of Jesus. That's really the pursuit. I thank God for all the Christian people out there, and I thank God for all the Christian authors and all the great things, and I need them because they, they help me. But hopefully, like this series, I'm not here to, like, well, that was a good message, Pastor Box. No, no, no. Hopefully this message has stirred something in you to say, you know what, there is something else here. Especially if you're going through a dry season. Especially, you know, the this, this song that they picked, and I had nothing to do with the song, but I remember years and years and years ago when that song came out, we were going through a really difficult season 
And I remember that song, the desert song, it ministered to me, Gilly, so much back in, I'm talking, gosh, probably 12 years ago now. We just went through it, really. And, and I remember I would hear that song and I'd hear that song and hear that song. We would sing it and we'd hear the song. And I, back then I was still playing the band. And, and little by little, that song began to grow in me. And it wasn't the song. It was just a couple little phrases. It was just a couple little ideas. It wasn't the whole song. But I felt like I was going through that desert. And if you feel like you're going through a desert this morning, if you feel like your spiritual life is not where it needs to be, start with questions. Start asking God. Asking God, why am I dry? Start with that. Why am I feeling this, Lord? And be open to the answer. Don't, don't say, why am I feeling this? It's because. No, no, don't answer it. Because <laughs> you got your answers, right? So remember, what we're pursuing, that maybe Jesus is the question to all of your answers. Go ahead and stand with me this morning. Father, we thank you this morning for the word. And Lord, we pray, and I pray with all my heart that, that this teaching this morning, this word, that it's not just a sermon, it's not just an outline, God, it has to be something else, it has to be deeper. And I pray, Father, that this morning as we are here in our church and praying over our online audience that all of us come. And really, Lord, grant us a depth of questions to ask you this week. Questions about the church, questions about our family, questions about our own personal lives, God. Questions about our devotion to you. But Lord, at the end of the day, you've answered all of them. And Lord, as I was sitting here in praise, thinking about how good you've been to us throughout all these years, even though we've gone through the desert, even though we've gone through the storms, even though we've gone through the valleys, you have got us through every single one of them. And right now, I want to pray for you, church. I feel there's an anointing here. When I, when I told you, you know, what is your greatest need? Some of you said, Pastor, that's a list. <laughs> it's not even a need. But I want you to bring that to the front of your thinking right now. And I'm going to pray for you. And as I'm praying for you, I want you to do something. I want you to try to cast that care. And when I finish praying, I want you to, you know, say it to yourself. Say it out loud where you can hear yourself. Say, I don't care anymore. And Father, right now, when we ask that question, what is it that we need? I know, Father, because wherever there's, there's life, there will be needs. Wherever there's life, there's, there's some form of pain. Wherever there's life, there's something that we need, we need some help, Jesus. And Lord, instead of just going to you with the regular, simple requests, feed us, heal us, pay for us, that's fine, Lord. And you do a great job, by the way, sir. I thank you for taking great care of our family. But Father, we want something deeper. So for every need that is in this room, there is a question. And there is an answer. And I pray right now, Father, for the deep things and over the struggles and, Father, over the, the things that cause anxiety and issues. I pray over marriages. I pray over relationship. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Again, I don't know. I'm, I got my eyes closed. When I pray, close my eyes because I don't want to be influenced by seeing anybody. Either you're online or you're in here, but you need healing in your relationship with your kids. And the Lord's going to take care of it, but you're going to have to approach with a question. That's, you know, I'm, I'm just downloading what he's telling me. You do what you want to with it. And the question is, what do I need to change? And I'm talking specifically about teenage kids right now. I'm not talking about little kids. I, I got that. There's just some stuff going on, and you're doing your best, and you're trying hard, and you're praying for them, and you're 
but really the Lord is saying that he'll fix it. But you have to come with these questions because the question is going to lie on you. What do you need to change? What do I need to change? Instead of saying the same prayer over and over and over, heal him, keep him off of drugs, all the same prayers that we've all prayed. Ask God and he will reveal to you and healing will begin in that relationship. But you got to follow that. Father, I thank you this morning for this service. And Lord, we want to be like children. We want to have the faith of a child. And the faith of a child is loaded with questions and questions and questions and questions. And this morning we come believing that we get the answers. Even if it is another question, it doesn't matter. But we will hear from you, God regarding all the things that we, that we wear our brain out thinking about. And help us, Lord, as we resolve these things, that we practice continually the power of casting cares. And today we cast the care of these situations over. All the areas of our life where the impossibles are, we invite you, Lord, to dominate that whole area of every impossibility in my life. You are the God that slumbers not, so that gives us permission to rest. Yes, Lord, thank you, Lord. Permission to rest. Wow. What a word. Some of you need to get that. Hold that. We need permission to rest. You know, the word in the Hebrew says we labor to enter into his rest. So, Father, we thank you right now that we receive peace in our homes, in our families. And we thank you, Lord, that we will ask the right questions, that you'll help us fabricate the questions. And I bless this church. And I bless this church. And, Father, we pray for all those that are out of town. And we also pray, Father, we are going to come that through this situation, that even with the COVID and the media and all this and the vax and the unvax, the whole craziness. Lord, just tell us what is our part. And we ask the question, what is our part? To pray, to speak, to confess, to encourage. And we thank you, Father, that COVID, like we said last year, in 2020, it will not touch us. It is done, it is over, we declare it, we believe it. But at the same time, Lord, we ask you to tell us what is our part what is our part I don't want to be moved by ideology I don't want to be moved by politicization I don't want to be moved by the media and I especially don't want to be moved by fear I will not let fear move me into anything so we ask the question Lord you tell us everything we need to know about that and Father I pray for this church I pray Father for the people that are still struggling to get back for whatever reason, but I know they're coming back. I know we're going to get back to a full house. I thank you for our online church. I thank you for all these wonderful people that are all across now different states of America, and we bless them, and we thank you that whatever we have to say is important enough for them to to get online. So I call you blessed, praying for the online church. I call you blessed. You're just a big part of it is everything else. So we give you all the glory. Come on, just worship him with us. We thank you, Lord, for the answers. We thank you, Lord, that we don't walk as blind men. We walk with insights and revelation. And we walk like the barefooted priest 
that we're sensitive to step when you say step. And I just believe, Lord, Father, as we're on track to finish this year, that the end of this year, as we've been speaking, is going to be glorious. I speak health and peace and prosperity over everyone that has any connection to us. I call them blessed in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right, give the Lord a big hand clap this afternoon. God bless you. You may be seated. Glory to Jesus. All right, I'm, I'm going to, as you know, we have the second service in Laredo. We're going to take off here in a few, few minutes. But um, if you need an envelope for your giving, there's, it's there next to you. And if you need um, online instructions, most of you know. I want to read something before you, you know, no, go ahead and prepare your offering. I want to bless, I want to read it and bless prayer over it. In this series that we started, you know, one of the biggest questions that I think I learned, I guess I learned it early on. I learned it kind of the hard way because <laughs> I don't want to get into a lot of details how I learned it the hard way, but I was very naive. And I had been to church services. Some of you might have experienced this. If you haven't, hope you never do. You know, church service was good till it got to the offering. And then it was weird. And it was off. And it was out of rhythm. And sometimes as a naive Christian, I would get sucked into some of these emotional things. But I remember I, I kind of began to see that. And I remember that. It's funny because now that I'm thinking about it, I remember asking that question way back then. Because I began to feel uncomfortable about it just stuff, you know, and it's not that the people were wrong, you know, just, just a bad, how many I want to talk about, it just got weird, if you've never been to those services, <laughs> thank God you've never been to those services, and I asked the Lord, I said, how do I know, and the Lord said, you'll know, that's all I got, because I, I felt like I was being scammed and pulled, and, and I remember one day I was in a service, and it was a great service, and it was good, and I had, and I had that, when I go to church, I usually, you know, obviously, as a pastor, you don't spend that much time going to sit down. But if I go to a conference, as a, as a practice, you do what you do. But I always would prepare my offerings first. I didn't, I didn't want to be like, oh, I got to give. You know, I was like, I would talk about it. I said, I'm good. You know, if I give $100, whatever, $20, that's, that was settled between me and the Lord way before I ever showed up. So I had settled $200 for that service, and I had made a check for $200, and I had it in my pocket. And it was, I mean, the word was good. I believe it was a conference. Some of you might remember the name. His name was R.W. Schombach Preach. He was a preacher. You remember that, Joe? You remember R.W. Schombach? Glory to God. That guy would preach heaven down, man. I mean, he was powerful. So he had nothing to do with this, by the way. Well, he got done. Another guy that, you know, and it was, I remember this because it was, the conference of 9-11 because 9-11 happened in September and this was October and it was really weird there was not that many people I mean 9-11 had just happened so I get it you know they were struggling financially and they took a powerful powerful service and then they began the whole money thing right and money and, and I kept feeling uneasy and I remember I got that $200 check in my pocket and it got to the point where the Lord really impressed me not to give it Liz I mean, it, it, it wasn't a voice. I just was impressed. Like, don't sow into that. Don't give into that. Because they had turned something that is supposed to be beautiful. Worship. Here's the thing. What Gilly does, what Kathy does, what all these guys do, what they are doing, they are giving thanksgiving worship to God. That's what they do. And you should be responding as an audience, you know, as a congregation. We give 
high praises. So giving and worship is the same thing. You don't, you can't separate them because the money is simply a reflection of your gratitude. Hello. Again, I'm, not, I'm just saying my own personal experience. And in that service, you know, it, it got so weird about the demand and, you know, just almost like pressure giving. I'm like, the Lord just said, don't give into that. And I said, and, and then I understood. He didn't tell me right then. That's how God deals with me. You know, I, I meditate. I think a lot. I'm a thinker. Yes, my family. This morning I was up at 3.30. I haven't slept since 3.30. Why? Because my brain doesn't shut up. I'm like, ding. And I try to go to sleep and like, nope, go to the living room, get in the Word, do something. And the Lord said, no, you don't give into that. Because later on, he said, that is not worship. God is not after your money. God is after your devotion. Any relationship. Think about any relationship in your life. If it's built around stuff, it is very, very shallow. You know, if you, if, you know and there's some people that have a tendency. You know, if you, if you study the four languages of love and all that, which is really good. There's one that, and I'm that guy, you know, one of the ways I express my love to my family and to, and to people is I give. I'm a giver. That's what I do. Some people are affectionate. Some people say it. I'm not, to me, it's always awkward to say, when my wife says, I love you. And, you know, you're supposed to respond, right? And I'm like, it's weird. It's, I have to practice it because I'll just buy you something. Here, we're good now. And, but think about what relationship with your child, your wife, or your husband would be if the only way you could get their attention is by giving them some money. That'd be sad, right? And some people build relationships like that. They just try to buy everybody. And they're surrounded by a lot of people that can't stand them. All they want is to get some of that money, right? Or if you have a child that the only time he ever comes to talk to you is because he needs something. And you're his mom or his dad and you want to bless him. But there's a point where you're, you, know, you might still continue to give him stuff, but you know there's no really devotion in there. If everything's good, especially if you've got kids that are gone and grown and, you know, doing their own thing. And the only time they say, hey, mom, and you're like, ka-ching. How much now, son? Because that's the only time you call. How do you think God feels? When you take something as precious as worship and turn it into some kind of auction or turn it into some kind of extortion exercise. That is not good. And the reason I'm going on and on is because that offering, if it's $20 or if it's 20000 to God, he's not looking at the zeros. He's looking at the gratitude that's connected to that. So just remember that when you give. You're not, a, you're not obligated to give anything to anybody, not even to this church. But if this church, and this is where I'm going with this, has blessed you, and what the church didn't bless you, God blessed you. Come on, church, y'all respond a little bit. I need to finish. I got to go. God bless you through a church. That's all it is. The church didn't bless you. Pastor Box didn't bless you. God blessed you through a preacher. God bless you through a church. God bless you through a family. That when nobody else cared, your church family was there. When everybody else kicked you out, your church family still reached out. God blessed you through this organism. And the natural response is to worship God right back through that organism. But you're not, you're not giving the money to the church. You're not giving the money to Pastor Bob. You're, you're bringing it right back. Say, oh, Lord, you've been so good to me. You've been so good to my family. That's what I was thinking when we were in praise. 
I had a rough day yesterday. And it wasn't my, but just those things still, you know, I've done it in 30 years. It's still, it's still hard. And I was sitting there and I was kind of, you know, and I just started worshiping. I finally got into the worship, got into what was going on. And then I just began to say, God, you've been so good to this family. You've been so gracious to us, God. Where were we 25 years ago? Where were we 35 years ago? God, you've been so good to this family. That's all they did. And in that atmosphere, you present your offering. And it is holy, and it is awesome, and it is precious to God. And it's always worship. It's never demanding. And if you ever feel like this church put a demand on you, I'm not going to apologize for something we don't do. That's your take on what we do. But this church has to move the flow of these things because, you know, if you don't do that, then you don't have a church. (laughs) I was talking to some, well, too many long stories, but there are a lot of churches that didn't survive COVID. Lots. I mean, like hundreds in America. The number is staggering. of Churches that had a fold because the Christians that were supposed to take care of the church decided to stay home while they stayed home with their money. Church disappeared. And that place that was a source of the blessing for so many people is no longer there. I'm not saying, no, this church is, we've been here, gosh, what, almost 30 years? We're not going anywhere. But you got to think on those things. If I, if, you know, the Lord blesses me through this organism or this organization, organism I like more because it's more person's life. Well, I have a responsibility to come and show my thanksgiving back to God through the same organism that God used to bless me. Do you see that? The blessing went this way, now the blessing goes back this way. So I encourage you always because, you know, we're not exempt from that. If enough people stop giving and if enough people stop coming, I don't got no reason to come here anymore. Will that happen? No, I don't believe it's happened. I think the church is solid. I think the church has a great foundation. But it could happen if your apathy grows to misunderstanding this. Because every penny counts. Every one of them. You're like, well, I only can give a dollar today. We'll take it. <laughs> right, Denise? We'll take it. We'll take the one, the five, the, the quarters, the change. <laughs> because all the yeah, thousands, come on, Liz. Liz just said she's going to give thousands. So here we go. Ah, just kidding. I, I need to shut up. Go ahead and stand. I'll pray. Father, I thank you so much for where everything has gone this morning. I thank you for even for this final word. We worship you with our giving. We don't take it lightly. And you don't take it lightly. And we would never abuse this act of worship. We would never put it anywhere else but in the place of worship. We give you this because it is gratitude. And just like this church has blessed us, we go right back through the church blessing. Not the church blessings. You blessed us through the church. And we go right back through it, Father, to give you what you gave us. Because who are we and who are these people of what you have given us? We get to give it back to you, Lord. And we sow it with joy. We sow it with thankfulness. And we believe with all our heart that a harvest will come. Because that's also a promise. That's also a promise. We can believe for harvest. So I pray right now, great harvest. We bless this seed. And I thank you, Father, till I see him again, that we will have an amazing week. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Well, with that, you are dismissed. Show yourself friendly to somebody. Bless them. High five them. And we'll see you all next week. God bless you. Can you mute me, please?